D.L. Moody said this, I'd rather be able to pray than to be a great preacher. Jesus Christ never taught his disciples how to preach, but only how to pray. Isn't that interesting? You would think that the disciples would ask Jesus how to preach, how to teach, how to be able to do miracles. But they said, no, Jesus, teach us uh, to pray. The life of Christ was devoted to prayer, spending time with the Father. We see the apostles in the book of Acts devoting themselves to prayer and the word. Paul always put in his letters that he was praying for the churches because they believed in the power of prayer. I don't totally understand prayer because God is sovereign and he does what he pleases, but he invites us into prayer. And it's where God does his greatest work in our hearts and in our lives. And what an invitation that we have to come and spend time with the Lord in prayer. So let's pick up in verse one. Now it came to pass as he was praying a certain, in a certain place, when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So seeing Jesus pray, they longed to learn to pray. John the Baptist had taught his disciples about prayer, and they're wanting Jesus to teach them about prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Are we serious about that? Am I serious about that? Do I really want to, to grow in prayer? Do I want God to teach me more about prayer? Let's make this our prayer to the Lord as we journey into 2023. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. If you're taking notes tonight, first write down relationship. And I think that this is the key to prayer is understanding that God is our Father, our Father. Jesus had such a close, intimate personal relationship with his father, and he's bringing us into relationship with our heavenly father. Keep a finger here and turn with me over to John 17, because in John 17, it's the very end of Jesus's life, this beautiful prayer that he has with his father, and we see his relationship with the father, and we see Jesus bringing us into this relationship. So we're going to look at the first five verses of John 17, and then jump down to verse 24. This is John 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that you, and also may glorify you. Verse 2. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life, to know the Father. And to know the one the Father has sent is Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be enjoying for all of eternal life. Eternal life starts now, doesn't it? Because we get to press into knowing the Father and knowing Jesus. I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work which you have sent me to do. And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now let's jump down to verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is longing 
for us to be in heaven to be able to see his glory. But it's not just about Christ's glory. What's so special about it, it's the glory that the Father gave to him. As we see the glory of Jesus, we understand the Father in a greater way. Jesus is wanting to reveal the Father to us. In verse 25, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name. Did you get that? So in these three years that Jesus has spent with the disciples, he said, I have declared the Father to them. The disciples understand who their heavenly Father is. I've declared your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. That, that's incredible. The love that the Father has for Jesus would be upon the disciples, would be in the disciples, and the disciples would go and share that with the world. Isn't there something special and powerful about a father? I think that I won the lottery. God blessed me just with an awesome dad and, and an awesome mom. But I have so many wonderful memories with my dad, and my dad's now 70 and struggles with Parkinson's disease. But my dad was the one who taught me how to fish growing up in southern Oregon on the, the Rogue River. You know, he taught me how to go hunting and be able to, to hunt. I can remember some of my earliest memories was playing basketball in the garage and my dad teaching me how to dribble a basketball. And basketball would become one of my great loves in my life. I remember a lot of times just wrestling with my dad, you know, and wrestling with my, my older brother. It always went better wrestling with my dad than my older brother. <laughs> my dad's a quiet man, he's an engineer, and was oftentimes working hard at home. But when he would get out outdoors, we'd go whitewater rafting together. As we're rafting, he would just let out this, this scream of excitement, right? Which was kind of rare for him uh, to do in his, his quiet personality. He's not, not a perfect man by any means, but just a huge influence uh, in my life. There was a crossroads in my life where I was really discouraged with pursuing pastoring. I'd gone to Bible college and school ministry, and I thought, man, when I get out of Bible college and I get out of school ministry, all these churches are going to be ready to give me an opportunity to be their youth pastor. And I was just getting all of these no's after no's after no's, and I was like, this, this is it. It's time to pursue something real. Like, this, this is not real. I called my dad and I was like, hey, can you send me an application to the University of Utah? My parents had moved from Southern Oregon to Utah and my, my dad got real quiet. He says, Eric, I think God's got a call on your life and you shouldn't be so quick to throw it away. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that he confronted me and I was like, ah, I gotta go. And I got off the phone and went for a walk and had a conversation with the Lord and really felt like the Lord spoke to me saying, Eric, I've called you to teach the word and you can either accept to walk in that or you can walk away from it. I'll love you either way. Either way, I'll love you, I'll bless your life, but I have called you to do this and I need you to say yes or no. And as a young man, being 21 years old, I was like, okay, Lord, if you give me an opportunity to share your word, I'll, I'll try to be faithful to share your word. But it's my, my dad's influence in, in my life. And some of you have that joy of a great relationship with your dad. And others of you, it's, it's painful because your dad's brought a lot of pain in, into your life. But whether you've got a great human father or you have a human father that's let you down, for you to understand 
that your heavenly father is perfect and that he loves you and that he's there for you and he's waiting to hear from you, I think will influence you more than anything else. It's what Jesus really wanted us to know. He wanted us to understand the father and understand how much the father loves us. So when we're coming into talking with God, we're talking with a dad, our father. This, this is our father. Some of you may remember this. Some of you are too young to remember this. A sprinter from Great Britain, his name is Derek Redmond. He was running in the 1992 Olympics. He'd gone through five surgeries, had lots of injuries. Just four months before the Olympics, he tore out his Achilles heel. I don't know how he was able to recover enough to be ready for the 400-meter sprint in the Olympics. But he'd recovered enough, and he was ready to run. In 1998, one hour before the race, he also blew out his Achilles heel. So this Olympic dream had been very difficult for him and was finally being realized. Halfway through the 400 meter, he tears out his hamstring. I mean, the brutal, brutal pain of that and the anguish that is on his face. But he chooses to get up and he's hobbling to finish the race. And you notice that here comes someone down on the track and it's his dad. And his dad puts his arm around his son and they walk together to go to the finish line. So thankfully this is on YouTube and I can describe it with words, but we're gonna show it to you. So we're gonna play it here. And I want you to think about the power of a, of a father. So let, let's roll that.
Yeah. Isn't that so powerful? Don't you, don't you love the fact that he's, the dad's just beating off the officials? So my daughter, Adeline, she runs track and field and she runs cross country. And one of the things that I learned is you do not go down on the track. Like, it is criminal to go on the track. If you go into the in, infield, off with your head, right? Like, they're very serious about this. So imagine at the Olympic Games, here comes dad. And in an interview afterwards, he said he felt like it was his duty to go and help, help his son. And he was expressing to his son early on, like, son, just stop. Like, don't, he didn't want to see his son go through any more agony or risk injury. And his son said, I've got to finish this. And his dad said, then let's finish this together. And when the son's pointing, he's pointing to get back into the lane that was his lane uh, to run. And they finished that race together. And it's gone down as one of the greatest moments in Olympic history. And you could see why. And what I want you to understand tonight is you have a heavenly father that's ready to come to your rescue. You might be in that place where you're like, I'm crashing on the track of life and I've tore out a muscle and there seems like no one is with me, but here's this father. And you can see the relationship with the father and the son in the video where he, the son just caves in the arms of his father. And we have that with our Heavenly Father where we can come to Him and we can pour out our heart to Him and we can express everything that's going on inside of us. Prayer's not just about getting our way or getting things accomplished. It's us coming into relationship with the Father. So Jesus teaches us as we begin our prayers, our Father which art in heaven, and then hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. How would be your name is point number two. It's adoration. In Psalms 100 verse 4, it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. It's appropriate as we spend time with the Lord to start with thanksgiving, to come into his courts with praise. How would be your name? As we talked about on Sunday, the word hallowed means set apart, that there, there's no one like the Lord. And to be thankful for who he is, to be thankful for what he's done. And don't leave this part of the process of prayer out. If we just rush right to our supplication, our need, pouring out our burdens before the Lord, I think we're going to miss out on the importance of thanksgiving, the importance of gratitude. And something happens in my soul when I'm reminded of who the Lord is. When I'm reminded of, of what he's done, it puts that problem into perspective. So it's relationship, but it's also adoration, taking that time to be thankful. Then it's submission. Your kingdom come and your will be done. It's difficult for us to accept living our lives under authority. We tend to want to be the authority. We want the boss to be the boss. We want to have our own way. But so much of the Christian life is coming and submitting ourselves to the will of the Father. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done. We can get caught up in our own kingdom. We can get caught up in the kingdoms of this world and to say, no, Father, I want your kingdom to come and to make that part of, of our prayer life is, Lord, would your kingdom come to my life, to my family? 
to my neighborhood, to those that don't know you, to, to Colorado Springs, and praying for that, and then submitting our will to the Father. In Romans 12, verse 1, maybe a scripture that you're familiar with, Paul writes and he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This is submitting ourselves to the will of God based on his mercy, based on the fact that God has been gracious to us with the gift of his son, freely paying for our sins. We respond to his mercy. We respond to his grace and say, Lord, I'm presenting myself as a living sacrifice. I want your will to be done in my mind, in my thoughts. I want your will to be done in my ears. I want your will to be done in my words, in my actions. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So submitting ourselves to his will. So relationship, adoration, submission, and then give us day by day our daily bread. This is a prayer for provision. God, would you give me what I need today? I heard on the news today that in Denver, people are getting utility bills that are twice the cost that they were this time last year, and it's the price of natural gas. And I'm sure the same thing is happening in Colorado Springs. It was a Denver news outlet. You know, opening up your utilities and you're like, twice, twice the cost. Okay, we're setting the thermostat to 58, you know. The pipes won't freeze at 58 and everybody gets long underwear for Christmas, right? It, things are difficult uh, financially and there's all of this question of how far is inflation going to go and is inflation starting to slow down, but is that then going to bring on a recession? I was reading an article that when the feds have raised rates historically in the past, uh, there's been nine times in the past, eight of those times it's led to a recession. So they're like, it's kind of like going out and learning to ride your bike for the first time. It's possible that you won't wreck on your bike, but it's highly likely that you will. So the percentage is eight out of nine times when rates get raised that it leads to a recession the only really way out of this rise of inflation is to stall out the economy, which is recession. It's like, oh man, this is just a difficult picture to be painted, right? There's challenges that are happening financially. Wages aren't keeping up with the cost of living and those, those types of things. But guess what? We've got a God who is an awesome provider. He's an awesome provider. And he wants us to bring our physical needs to him. Lord, here's, Lord, you know. Here's the utility bill. Here's, here's the challenges with the price of groceries and these costs and the car broke down and needs tires and all those types of things. But isn't it our tendency to just try to deal with those things apart from prayer? Father, the, the, the washing machine broke. The, the, the dryer broke. And it feels almost too small to bring that to the Lord. Like the creator of the universe cares about my dryer Really? Well, remember, he's your father. So he does. And when we pray, we're giving him opportunity to work. We're relying upon his provision. Even when things are going well, to pray for provision. To not assume that I have the ability or the strength or the answers in and of, of myself. God is, is the provider. 
One of my favorite stories about God's provision is in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 17. Write it down and, and read it later. But you have Elijah the prophet, and God calls him to go speak boldly to King Ahab, the king of of Israel, who is rebelling against God, leading the children of Israel in idolatry. And Elisha's led to tell him, hey, it's not going to rain for years at my words. I'm going to pray. There's going to be a drought, and that drought's not going to end until I pray again, and the Lord brings rain. That's a difficult message to give. God then says to Elijah, you need to go And hide out by the brook. Because his life was in jeopardy by confronting Ahab in this way. And this is what God tells Elijah. I'm going to provide for you with the raven. It's going to come in the morning and the evening and bring you bread and meat. Just hang out by the brook. Drink drink from the brook. That's where you get your water. And you're going to have Uber Eats that comes to you. Raven treats just, just right, right to you. And what's interesting about this is ravens are scavengers and are unclean birds that were not kosher in the diet that God had given to the children of Israel. So God's using an unclean bird to bring Elijah, his prophet, meat and bread. It just shows God has limitless resources of provision. We go, I don't know how we're going to get through these times. And God's like, I can provide for you through a raven. Well, the brook dries up and God speaks to Elijah again and says, I want you to go to a widow's house in Zarephath of Sidon, not even in Israel, pagan nation. And this widow is going to provide for you. Now, I'm not a rocket scientist, but you don't usually go to widows for provision. You know what I'm saying? Widows are in a place of need. And he shows up and he asks the widow for some water. She gives him some water. And then he asks for something to eat. And she's honest with him and says, I'm down to my last little bit of flour. I'm going to make a meal for my son and I. We're going to eat it and we're going to die. It's our last supper. And Elijah says, well, would you go ahead and make something for me to eat? And as you trust to do that, God is going to provide the food that you need. And she does. And God supernaturally provides and multiplies the flour where they continue to have what they need through this this drought. God provided for his prophet through ravens and widows, very unlikely places of provision. And God has financial provision. He's got spiritual provision. He's got emotional provision in places that we would never expect. And he's able to take care of us. He's able to to meet our needs, but he wants us to bring our needs before him. And and is this part of your prayer life? Is this part of your relationship with the Lord? Lord, I'm really dreading this. God, would would you help me with this? Lord, I need wisdom. Would you provide for this? These are the financial struggles that are going on and I bring them to you. And then God wants us to bring those needs day by day and he wants to meet those needs day by day. Thankfully, we all have some history, don't we? We're at this point in our journey with the Lord. You may be 18 years old, but you've got 18 years of history. You might be 45 or 85, you've got a history of, man, this is how the Lord has been faithful. This is how the Lord has 
seen me through. Psalms 90 verse 1 speaks of God being a faithful dwelling place to the generations. We're able to look back at prior generations of believers and God was faithful. Doesn't mean that things always go our way, but God is faithful and he's good and he is a God who provides and wants us bringing those needs to him. So in prayer, relationship, adoration, submission, provision, and then forgiveness. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, asking the Lord for forgiveness. Then being able to extend that forgiveness to others. Why do we need to be in a place of asking the Lord to forgive us? Because we sin. Sometimes it's willful. Sometimes we sin and we don't even realize it. And saying, I desire such close relationship with my father. I don't want anything preventing my relationship with him. So I'm going to ask for forgiveness. You guys have probably heard me share these illustrations before, but they just stick in my heart and my mind with forgiveness. And it's trash day, right? Have you ever missed trash day? And then you got to go two weeks for trash day. That's a bad scenario, especially if it's in the middle of summer and your garage is piping hot. The trash gets, gets real stinky. Trash day for us is Monday morning. I think we're the first route for the trash truck. It comes at 7 in the morning on Mondays. So we get the trash out Sunday nights, usually. And we'll go through our house and, and try to get all the trash cans, get it out, and it, it, I love it. I love Monday mornings when I've got empty trash cans coming back into the garage. Go one week without confessing sin before the Lord and see how it goes. You know, go, go two weeks, go two months, go, go two years. And all of a sudden we feel pretty far from the Lord. We've drifted from the Lord. In communion, when we take communion, we're to look back at the cross of Christ. We're to look forward to his return, but we're also to look within and saying, Lord, would you search me? Would, would you know me? And again, we have this loving father that's ready to forgive. The other illustration that stands out in my heart and mind with forgiveness is a pan, right? You use a pan for cooking. If you don't clean that pan, if you don't scrub out that, that pan, man, it really cakes on there and it gets, gets really hard. I had a roommate my good buddy Brent Bowden, and he, he loved to cook, but he didn't like to clean his pants. And one time I was like, I'm, I'm not tired of cleaning his pants, so I'm just going to wait. And it was seriously like three weeks, and the pan was still sitting there from a meal that he made. And it was disgusting, right? Well, that's my heart if I don't confess my sin. But when I confess my sin, he forgives, and he also cleanses. He's able to get into our hearts and our lives and cleanse us from sin. So this is a regular part of our prayer of, of Lord, forgive me. Lord, reveal to me where I've, I've gotten off track and confess that to the Lord. And then as we confess and receive forgiveness, then we extend that to others to forgive those who are indebted to us. Stephen, the first martyr in the early church, has a quite a story and a, and a testimony. He was called upon to wait on the widows. There were so many widows 
that weren't being cared for, that they raised up leaders. They called them deacons to serve the widows. And as he served, he grew. And he grew in faith and he grew in boldness. And that happens in our lives as we serve. Have you noticed that? As we step out and serve God's people, the Lord grows us in our understanding of him and grows us in our our maturity. Stephen gets arrested and in Acts 7, he gives this amazing message really calling out Israel of their sin, the religious leaders of their sin. They get angry and they are stoning him. And at the end of Acts chapter 7, it tells us that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He gets a gaze of heaven. He gets a gaze of the throne room of God, sees Jesus standing up. Jesus is going to welcome Stephen into the throne room of God. And you know what Stephen's last words were? as he's being stoned, is, Lord, please do not lay this to their charge. If I'm Stephen, I'd say, Lord, please get these knuckleheads. Like, they're accountable to you. Like they're, they're killing me right now. I mean, what a terrible way to die, to get, have rocks just thrown at you until you die. The brutal pain of that. Well, there's a guy who's standing by, his name's Saul, and he's holding the coats of the men who are doing the stoning, showing his approval, showing his affirmation. Saul may have even been in the behind the scenes to orchestrate all of these things. I'm not going to get my hands dirty. I'm not going to be the one who throws the stone, but I'll hold the coats in this position of, of power. And he heard the words of Stephen, didn't he? He says, Lord, forgive them. Don't lay this against their their charge. How could Stephen offer those words of forgiveness because he heard the words of Jesus? Jesus' words had impacted him when, when Jesus hung upon the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus had forgiven those who executed him, forgiven those who had crucified him. More and more, we're living in a culture that is opposed to Christians. I read an article uh, this week about a woman in Massachusetts. She's in a government position as the director of human rights. And she made a post on her Facebook account calling Christians disgusting trash. I guess human rights is good for everybody except for Christians. And she got fired. She, She lost her position. But what would cause her to call Christians disgusting trash, right? There's this opposition to the things of Christ. And our tendency as we see this happening in culture is to get angry and to get spiteful and vengeful. But we're to take the posture of Stephen standing for truth. Stephen stood for truth to the point where it cost him his life. He didn't back down from truth, but he was filled with the love and the grace of God to extend forgiveness. When we understand to the extent that God has forgiven us, then we can extend that forgiveness to others. One of the things that's difficult about the holidays, Christmas, is sometimes it highlights broken relationships, doesn't it? Man, it's just not right with this son or this daughter, or it's not right with my mom or my dad, or, oh man, I haven't talked with my brother for six years, and that, that really stinks, or we, we used to be friends. They, they used to be close, but now they don't want to have anything to do with me. And bitterness can really start to fester. 
And bitterness can get the best of us. And to choose forgiveness. Who is it in your life that you need to forgive? And, and this is part of our prayer life. This is part of our conversation with our Father. Is Father, I'm choosing to forgive them because you have so graciously forgiven me and I'm extending this forgiveness uh, to them. The last part of the prayer is protection. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We talked about on, on Sunday that we're led away by our own evil desires. This is a prayer for protection, that, that God would protect us from temptation. Isn't it humbling, the reality of temptation? You know, how many people that have loved and served the Lord and have had godly character have fallen into sin that they never thought they would fall into? And to say, Lord, I'm, I'm one decision away. I'm one decision away from hurting your heart, hurting those that you love and those that I love. So, so Lord, deliver me from temptation. Protect me from temptation. You know my weakness and acknowledging that weakness before the Lord and then asking for his strength. Jesus encouraged the disciples. He said, pray lest you fall into temptation. Our offense is our best defense. You know what I'm saying? As, as we're close with the Lord and close with the Father in prayer, it's a lot easier to say no to temptation. Have you noticed as you're spending that time with the Lord, then the things of this world are not quite as, as tempting. So this is asking the Lord to deliver us from temptation, but also to deliver us from the evil one. In Psalms 91, it speaks of the secret place of the Most High. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I will trust. Personal, this is personal. My God, my fortress, my refuge in whom I will trust. The secret place of the Most High. Why is it called the secret place? Because you can be going through your day at work and be in fellowship with your father and you're in the secret place. You can have someone coming against you and you're in fellowship with the father and you are in the secret place. We can have the enemy coming after us and attacking us, but we're fellowshipping with the father and we're in the secret place. And we're hidden under his shadow. We shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We're so close with God and he's so close with us that we get to be in this place of refuge, this place of protection with him. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. As we run to him, we're safe. As we trust in him, we're safe. Yes, there's a real en enemy. Yes, there's a real adversary. But going to the Lord saying, God, would you protect me? Or would you protect my, my wife? Would you protect my kids? Would you protect Rocky Mountain Calvary from the attacks of the enemy, from the lies of the enemy? So we studied this on Sunday. It's now Wednesday. Is it stirring in us a desire to pray? Is it stirring in us a, a longing to want to spend time with the Lord, say, Lord, teach me to pray? I'd encourage you to take Luke chapter 11 and just make it practical. Start reading it and praying it. Our Father, which art in heaven, thank you that you're my dad. Thank you that I get to come to you right now. Hallowed be your name. 
Thank you that you're gracious, that you're merciful, that you're, you're long-suffering. Just go through the prayer and begin to, to pray it in and to make it your own. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. The problems that we're facing in our lives, the problems that we're facing in our community, in our country, how do we respond? We respond in prayer and humbling ourselves before God and to seek his face. There's some desperation there. Father, I'm seeking you for what's going on in my family. Father, I'm seeking you for what's going on in my community. And then it starts with the people of God that we turn from our wicked ways, that we repent from our wicked ways. Our tendency is to look out at unbelievers and to point the finger, but allow the Holy Spirit to search us and say, Lord, I'm gonna confess my sin to you. We see examples in scripture with Nehemiah and Daniel where they confess the sins of the children of Israel before God and they include themselves and they say, my sin And there's no indication that Daniel and Nehemiah had actually committed those sins, but they're in a place of owning it for God's people, desperately asking that the Lord would bring forgiveness. One of the things that needs to take place in our country is for the church of God to repent and return to the word of God. You know, I'm amazed at how many pastors throughout the country are abandoning the word of God, abandoning clear teachings on God's word. We have major denominations that are departing from the teaching of biblical sexuality and are unashamed about it and are now starting to teach that God blesses sexual sin. And this is happening amongst the the people of God. You know, you will run into churches that won't take a stand on abortion and won't declare that life begins in the womb and life begins at conception. You you have churches that teach universalism, churches that say Jesus died for the world so everyone is saved whether they believe or not, whether they repent and believe the gospel or not. It's a, a mute point. Everyone is saved. And you know what we're doing as the people of God is we're really editing the scriptures. We're, we're taking the scriptures and going, I don't like this part hell, that, that's, that's too difficult. Let, let's get that out of our Bible. Oh, male and female, that's not very popular. Let, let, let's get that out. And all of these things that, that we don't like and we're trying to make God in our own image, and this is inside of the people of God. This is inside of, of churches that on one side of their mouth, they're proclaiming truth. You, you'll listen and you'll hear and there's truth, but then out of the other side of their mouth, There's the rejection of truth and and there's lies. Well, guess what? That's us. We're the people of God. And so as we're broken saying, Lord, would you forgive us, your people, for abandoning your word? Going deeper and looking in our own lives, Lord, this is where my heart has gotten hard. This is where my heart has gotten off track. This is where my actions have gotten off track and to cry out to the Lord. But the awesome part of this prayer is that as we do this, God will hear and he will hear from heaven and he'll heal their land. 
how is he going to heal our land as a country is for people to turn to Jesus Christ, for Jesus to know that he loves them, to know that he died for them, to rescue them from sin and to give them hope. Isn't that what we long to see? Isn't that what we long to see take place? And it's an open invitation that the Lord gives to us. Will we take him up on it? And as we come to communion tonight, let's press into prayer, remembering what Christ has done, looking forward to his return, humbling our hearts and crying out to the Lord, saying, saying, Lord, would, would you forgive us? And I know that this is a difficult place to be because it's not fun to sit in the brokenness of our lives. It's not fun to sit in the brokenness of our culture and community and our country. But if we get to that place where we weep and we mourn and we cry out to the Lord and say, say, Lord, would you forgive us? Then there's a hope that the Lord's going to hear and he's going to heal our land. But this is what I want to leave you with tonight. Is you have the best father. You have a heavenly father who's proven he's loved you by giving his son. So that tonight when we pray, we get to cry out, Abba, Father. We get to cry out, Dad. And he runs. He runs to us on the track of life to give us his comfort. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, Blessed be the God of all comfort, the Father of mercies. Where God comforts us is in the understanding that he's our Father. And he's the Father of mercy. And do you know God to be a Father of mercy? Or do you picture God with a ruler in his hand going, oh, you messed up. Stick your hand out. You're going to get whacked. <laughs> right? That God's longing to bring judgment. No, he's gracious. He's kind. He's merciful. And in that relationship of his mercy, we find comfort. So prayer then isn't so much of a have to, but it's a get to. I look at the life of Jesus and he's like, I get to pray. I get to go spend some time with my father. I'm going to find time to stay up late or get up early or get away from the multitudes so I can have time with my Father. So would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Father, you're the ultimate dad. You love us. You're kind. You're gracious. You're holy. And you invite us to come and spend time with you. We don't deserve it. So tonight as we spend time in communion, we want to draw near to you. And would you take us deeper into relationship with you? Would you take us deeper into prayer life? So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.